You're listening to Indigenous Boom, a podcast by the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, featuring conversations on Indigenous health, education, and economic prosperity. Now your host, Krista Thompson. Today we're speaking with APC's Executive Director for the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, John Paul. On today's episode, we'd like to talk about the Atlantic Indigenous fishery. There have been numerous challenges over the past year for Indigenous communities when it comes to their fisheries. John has intimate knowledge of those challenges and we thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. So to start off, um, COVID-19, it's had an extreme, extremely devastating effect on the Atlantic fishery. I understand that the APC Fishery Department did a report with TriNav consultants. What was the outcome of that report? The report was basically done to keep an eye on all the um, all the seafood enterprises that uh, products which are produced by First Nations fishers across Atlantic Canada usually feed into uh, a U.S. or Chinese supply chain to sell either lobster, snow crab, or other things. Um, oysters, you you name it, um, all those things that you catch or grow um, end up in the food service supply chain. And one of the things that happened when, when COVID occurred is the entire industry basically shut down across the United States and uh, provided uh, basically basically very limited access to markets and limited access to to half decent prices for um for products basically and uh what we did was basically keep track of uh the ongoing pricing situation that was occurring both in the US as well as other overseas markets to find out whether and when prices had begun to uh, shift back to what they were a year before COVID and provide that updated information basically to each of the communities to build into their business planning processes for the coming year. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that COVID caused was it created a lot of challenges in terms of um, protocols for crew and protocols for vessels in terms of uh, changing the way you you did things to ensure people were not protected, were not infected, or had isolated before coming on an individual vessel or boat that was operating around Atlantic Canada. And we even had some people that were in in different provinces that had to work through the COVID protocols just to go to work because some of the people had to cross borders and had to go from one province to another. And so we worked closely with uh, our, our a training advisor that, that works with all the communities to basically coordinate that information and share 
all that information with each of the directors of fisheries in, in each of the communities and also um, provide uh, any details that were, were issued by the public health, the province, or transportation that uh, required adjustments on the vessel for crews. In particular, we found that um, people that had uh, processing plants like Espinotajic, uh, El Cibuktuk, uh, Eskizoni, and some other places really had to invest in a lot of different things to protect the workers, to protect the, uh, the production line of the uh, facilities and uh, provide a safe work environment to uh, employees. And, and our effort was to provide best practices, to share them, to share the rules, and to ensure everybody in every community did it in a way that was safe and they got access to resources to do those things and help them identify available programs that were that that came about all of a sudden to support or help them offset some of these costs that uh, were incurred in communities because um, you know adherence to uh, COVID protocols in the communities do have a subsequent cost and uh, that uh, if you can get assistance from government in any way shape or form then it makes sense and uh, the other angle was like I said about getting information and intelligence on where the markets were going to go basically when the fishing industry did reopen and get it into the hands of communities so their planning and projection of the fishery for the coming year could be done within realistic uh, within a realistic manner and uh, you know there was other things that that occurred in terms of the changes and uh, the improvements to EI eligibility in the community and the Fisher benefit which was made available through the income tax process that uh, communities were made aware of and provided information, the most current information on how they or individuals could actually apply for these things because almost every community hires the crews and um, most in the off-season collect EI and, and almost I'd say the bulk of the communities they do that and um, you know and um, you gotta know those EI rules or you don't get you don't get an EI check basically so <laughs> that that's a big thing and uh, I think that um, you know it it really is a challenge that they met face on because the directors do recognize the importance of the fishery as a revenue source in communities and recognize the importance of safety of crews and safety of staff because even the people in, in working in offices had to also comply with the COVID protocols in your, in your own community basically. <laughs> so everybody had to follow these whole bunch of new rules and uh, you know, in every way we could, we provided timely, relevant information to to 
to every community that uh, that was involved in the fishery. So it was it was a, it was a learning it was a learning process for everybody, and I um, acknowledge the work that the fisheries directors in in all the communities did to actually make a success out of. Uh, some of the very difficult challenges that they they had to deal with to operationalize a fishery in the time of COVID. So <laughs> it was it wasn't easy for the fishermen. The fishery fishermen's families were impacted, and and the communities were impacted, and uh, they all had to deal with the fear of COVID. And uh, you know, I'm glad now that communities are getting priority access to the vaccines and, uh, you know, helps in terms of safety relative to COVID-19 in the communities. There's been a lot of media attention recently with the issue of moderate livelihood fishery and the challenges that some communities are facing in dealing with the government. Could you share your perspective on this issue? Well, it, it, it's interesting because it, uh, it, it's been a very difficult year for communities dealing with, um, with the issue of moderate lively, especially Sabinagadee and, uh, and Chapel, Chapel Island and other communities that did undertake, uh, undertake the, the fishery. And the level of violence and racism and... Uh, those things that uh, are very bad, uh, you know, had a had a had a direct impact in all Mi'kmaq communities across Atlantic, and really did impact our relationship with uh, non-natives, not just fishermen, but but everybody else, because a lot of communities do a lot of business with people from outside the communities, whether it's a, a gaming or a, or a convenience store or, um, you know, whatever it is. A lot of people do come to our communities for a variety of reasons and for a variety of services. And when these bad things, violent things happen, uh, like the livelihood fishery, it really does strain uh, everybody's um, resilience and does strain everybody's emotions because uh, Facebook and other things are really a fuel for for visceral responses from people and uh, both from our side and and from some of the Fisher Fisher groups and their and their subsequent supporters and uh, you know it, it had it has and will have long-term implications because I recall when when we did have the Marshall decision in 1999, both Seven Agatee and Espinodigic uh, took to the waters right after the uh, the decision was made, and there was very hostile reaction to those communities where. Boats were burnt, uh, people's lives were threatened, and, uh, you know, and, and it, th those things have long-term implications uh, for a community. And it takes a long, long time to try to rebuild any type of uh, trust because trust has to exist at the wharf because these are people you'll see 
every day and and sometimes they're the same people that are out fishing in a similar area in some cases and when bad things happen they're the people that will come rescue you it doesn't take five minutes for search and rescue to mobilize to to get to you or a coast guard vessel to get to you and uh, in bad weather or bad conditions uh, you know the the violence that that was repeated down in southwest nova did occur in 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 a lot of places across new brunswick and uh, in the gas bay peninsula where the snow crab uh, focus area, I'd call it, is does occur, and uh, you know there was there the there was vessels sunk, there was extreme violence uh, in the towns against against indigenous people, and uh, you know in in Southwest Nova and uh, those areas, the fishery is their only livelihood in a lot of cases, and. Uh, there are no other real art alternative industries other than tourists in the summertime, maybe, and uh, and there isn't really much industry in in the outer parts of Nova Scotia that uh, are involved in the fishery because they're involved in the fishery in every little tiny town from Cape North to Yarmouth and. Uh, Every wharf has a bunch of boats in it and a bunch of fishermen that are doing something in, in, the, in the fishery. I know that uh, the chiefs and the technicians that work for the rights negotiation tables have worked diligently over before, during, and after to get the correct information out to, to people. and. Uh, and call on uh, government and the RCMP to take appropriate action and, and charge those people responsible for, for vandalism or violence that uh, did, occur, did occur over the period of a month or, or even more that, uh, that, that still occurs while the moderate livelihood of fishery is going on in certain areas. and. Uh, you know, I find that uh, the 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 government and the lack of uh, clarity from the government uh, created all kinds of challenges and misunderstandings and and expectations by by us and by fishermen about uh, what needs to be done to protect our rights. We do have a right and. Uh, we do want to make a moderate livelihood uh, for our families and our communities and you know we we want this a lot of the same things a lot of people want uh, in terms of um, in terms of a, a better life basically and a, a job and a way to make some money what we did is that that was kind of interesting we did a, a public opinion a survey across Atlantic Canada and we surveyed 1,500 people from all the Atlantic provinces. And it told us an interesting story about people were aware of what happened in Southwest Nova with the violent conflict. A lot of people did uh, 
did express their concern about government and most people did recognize and want to respect uh, Aboriginal and treaty rights that were affirmed by the court. One, one of the interesting questions that, that we ask people in this, in this, this broad-based survey is, is basically, what do you think a moderate livelihood should be? And a lot of them pointed to the average income for a family, basically, in each of the provinces. And uh, most of the people surveyed uh, in, this, in this survey did identify that as a benchmark for, for the fishery. And uh, that was even in spite they did not understand the the cost structure to actually undertake a moderate livelihood fishery or what the expectation of a crew would be to actually operate a boat and to secure traps, uh, do the training, because there's a bunch of stuff that, that ha it's just not myself or Joe, somebody, Get buying a boat or buying a canoe or buying something and uh, going out there and uh, getting getting fifty or a hundred traps and then trying to make a living. Um, in a lot of cases, a lot of people have to are required to take training and and the thing about about the commercial fisheries in the communities. There has been a fundamental focus on training, safety, and certification, and it is a paramount cornerstone of all the fisheries in the communities because all of us know that uh, either advocate for things in, in the fishery and uh, advocate for our rights and advocate for our communities understand that uh, mistakes cost lives in the fishery. and. When people do not have adequate training or there's issues with the vessel or the equipment you're using, it does cause, the outcome is quite bad, very bad for individuals. And I think that um, the, the recent tragedies that, that occurred in Cape Breton and uh, Scallop Dragger really demonstrate the danger in the fishery and the real importance of um, proper training, proper certification, and proper gear and equipment on each and every vessel. And, and, and whether you're just doing a, a moderate livelihood or doing a commercial fishery, it is a, it is a requirement of the licensing regime for all that training. And uh, every vessel has to adhere to Transport Canada standards of uh, stability and equipment requirements that are, are for vessels and uh, that's an important aspect I think that everybody's in the communities that's involved in the fisheries and even those guys that are are going into the moderate livelihood fishery recognize those issues because they know if they're a fisherman they know other fishermen and they they all have stories about the one time bad things nearly happened and and uh you know and you know i can tell you there's four or five communities that already had tragedies of individuals that have uh 
have fallen overboard or washed off the boat or whatever. And uh, it's a big tragedy in the, in the community. And it's either the captain or the chief or the director of fisheries that has to deal with that and uh, inform the families about what's happened. And it's, it's a very difficult, uh, difficult thing to do. And, um, you know, I think that uh, the, the focus on safety and the focus on training and uh, certification of crews as, as deckhands and as captains of vessels is uh, is a cornerstone of of making those uh, activities safe. Uh, in a survival suit, you have probably five minutes or less to survive because the water is that cold and uh, you're incapacitated in less than five minutes if you fall in the water when the water is cold. So, you know, it 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 it, it doesn't take time. It doesn't take a lot of time and. Uh, there are very few second chances, and uh, we've promoted uh, safety training uh, over the last number of years, and, and almost all the years uh, in the communities, and every community across Atlantic that does the commercial fishery does have a training plan of all the fishers and all their relevant certifications that uh, fishermen do have because uh, it is a requirement and I think one of the things that I've spoken to many of the chiefs uh, about is in the moderate livelihood fishery those same high standards need to be followed and you know there has to be funding provided to help offset some of these costs of uh, safety of gear and uh, ensuring vessels have appropriate stability and equipment that uh, that you're able to undertake a specific type fishery in a in a safe and successful manner so you know it's uh, in terms of the government more recently they the minister of fisheries and minister of uh, cernak um, carolyn bennett and jordan basically said this is the our way or the highway and walked away from uh, the negotiations tables and uh, and uh, at our chiefs meeting our chiefs expressed those very strong concerns directly to the minister that was in attendance minister uh, miller and um, who who agreed to relay the messages and those concerns to Minister uh, Bennett and Jordan and uh, and try to find a better way towards a solution for the fishery in the long term. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it is something that uh, the chiefs felt people's lives are being put at risk because of it. And uh, the it is a danger. It, it's a dangerous thing. It doesn't matter who's doing it, and uh, you know when you when you top on um, racism and conflict uh, on top of that, uh, and uh, when you add those things on top, it makes it very difficult to do it in a professional, logical, safe way. When uh, 
you're worried about so many other things uh, when you go to the location that you're actually going to go fishing and worried about your family or worried about yourself um, and your own personal safety uh, going to exercise something which is uh, which is a right which was provided through our treaties and affirmed by the Supreme Court of Canada and uh, you know it's it's uh, it the, the discussions that went on was that uh, Canada is uh, violating the law and uh, needs to be more flexible in terms of um, providing uh, a, a real avenue for communities to exercise their own jurisdiction, their own management regimes, and their own controls over moderate livelihood fishery that works for the betterment of the fishery, for the long-term sustainability of the fishery, and the safety of all those involved in the fishery from those communities and and I think that um, you know it, it it's very important that uh, the, this dialogue and negotiation continue and that uh, I know that uh, the national chief Perry Bellegarde has been a strong advocate and a supporter of uh, us exercising our jurisdiction and our authority based on the treaties and based on our own inherent rights as uh, governments and uh, it's it's time that that uh, the fishery in itself uh, does uh, figure out a way to better accommodate us and accommodate our rights which are from the which are affirmed by the supreme court and uh, and make it a safe fishery for for our people and for our people who are interested in pursuing a moderate livelihood. Thank you so much. Um, there's been a lot of challenges I know in the communities when in regards to moderate livelihood fishery and um, I know that some some aren't even fishing because of the the violence that happens and they're kind of putting their fishery on hold so hopefully this gets taken care of and we have a safe fishery <laughs> going forward. <laughs> Well, I'm hope I, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, I've been involved in fisheries for 30 years or more, and we've gone through difficult parts of the fishery in terms of these issues and racism having a play in, in the fisheries. Um, at the time of Marshall, many, many fishers were very hostile to to us, <laughs> to us collectively, and uh, you know, it's almost 20 years later, and uh, that level of, uh, of of anger still exists 20 years later. And uh, to me, I I wasn't surprised, but uh, I was surprised in terms of how 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 nothing had changed in 20 years, basically, you know. <laughs> well, some things have changed um, yep. this year because of the, um, some of the Atlantic Indigenous communities have purchased clear water seafoods. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of impact do you think that will have um, on the Atlantic fishery and those communities? 
Well, I, I, I think it's going to have a very significant impact because uh, I know um, talking to Chief Paul about Clearwater and about Member 2's development in the fishery and development as, as, a, as a corporate entity, uh, his goal was always to take over 100% of Clearwater, like he said. And uh, he's always told John Risley that, that that was his intent to, to do that. So, you know, I think that uh, the, the, the big thing about the, the Clearwater deal it clearly demonstrated that communities have the governance capacity and the business expertise to have access to large pools of capital through the mechanism of uh, the First Nations Financial Authority and through working on getting FMB certified in a in a in a, the its long term debt at a very reasonable rate. And that allows, it allowed those communities that are participating in the deal to make this substantial purchase of the shares and controlling, intra, in controlling equity of the Clearwater, uh, Clearwater business. And the other partner from British Columbia is a major player in 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 the seafood supply chain worldwide and Clearwater has clearly established a beachhead in markets in the US, China, Japan and and other parts of the world and uh, the premium food the other company involved in the deal has established a beachhead in Europe in England, Spain, Germany, and and other companies, and uh, that are part of the seafood supply chain uh, in those countries. So, you've got both sides of the entire globe covered now with the with the uh, food chain, the supply food chain of Clearwater, as well as connections to processors and sales. Uh, I call it the uh, the food supply chain to the grocery stores and to the fish markets in a lot of these places in, in Europe. And, uh, you know, I think that one, one of the big things that uh, I think that will, will come to play is the brand names of Clearwater and the, the BC company have brand recognition uh, worldwide. And that does make a difference, and uh, them solidifying those 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 brands and strengthening the supply chain, I think, will help Clearwater and them to develop a a long term plan, basically, for the next one or two decades, where their supply chain is expected to grow. And will 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 allow additional acquisitions of other companies that uh, are involved in different sectors of the fishery to build a bigger quality supply chain of seafood worldwide, because I think everybody kind of 
looks at it, the seafood industry is a worldwide industry and having connections in, in all parts of the world is critically important to, to have the value, to create the value and to create uh, those um, opportunities of new species like the, like the surf clam or, you know, whether it's shrimp or whether it's uh, lobsters or whatever it is. It's like, uh, you know, trying to get it into those places where people will pay a premium price. And they'll recognize the brand, and and I think one of the the critical elements that uh, I'm sure will be played up at Clearwater is that it is an indigenous brand. It's an indigenous homegrown brand from people who have been in the fishery for centuries, and I think that uh, that is something I think which will emerge part of the uh, part of where the growth plan of uh, Clearwater is going and and I think that uh, you know one of the biggest things that uh, Clearwater and the other well the collective brings is knowledge and experience in all aspects of the food or seafood supply chain and expertise to make those links from fishers to quality control of the of the product of the catching and the processing of the product right to the marketing side of the product in some grocery store in London so I say or some grocery store in Berlin or China or wherever it is they'll they'll they they get that and and I think that uh, our communities offer a a very large and diverse workforce that I've always believed could be integrated into the supply chain of Clearwater worldwide. And, and, and I always believe that if you have an indigenous face selling an indigenous product in other parts of the world does make a difference. It does add value to a product when the traditional people of uh, of the area, say like uh, Mi'kma'ki, the Mi'kmaq, and so on, have been here for before people knew there was North America. <laughs> and uh, we've been involved in the fishing industry that long, and uh, now is a corporate kind of version of it, but... Uh, I think that uh, a lot of the guys that are the managers and the players at Clearwater, who I've met over the years, including John Risley and and the other guys that uh, have run and managed Clearwater, they do understand those things and they do understand that they have to adapt to the new world and uh, and the worldwide. Uh, seafood supply chain that that does exist and quality is a must and product on time is 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 essential and and having diversity of products as well is 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 another thing like uh, 
when you go to uh, a seafood place, you can buy everything from oysters to cod to swordfish to lobster, snow crab, you name it. And uh, I think in, 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 in a lot of places beyond Atlantic Canada, a lot of people are, are doing that more and more. So, you know, I think that it is an opportunity. I'm glad for my community and the other communities who are now shareholders of uh, Clearwater and their partner, I think, will provide a unique synergy to, to grow, basically. And that creates employment and career opportunities for our communities. And, and, and I think that uh, they've always had an influence uh, in, the Atlantic, in, in the Atlantic fishery, but more so this will be on the supply chain and uh, the seafood supply chain worldwide and putting our stamp into that and becoming real players in, 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 that, in that business worldwide so we can raise the, the Mi'kmaq flag in Japan and uh, China and uh, the Netherlands when they have the international seafoods to to uh to to demonstrate that there are Mi'kmaq people and uh, First Nations people indigenous people in Atlantic Canada that uh, are players and to me that really sets a precedent of business business um, exposure uh, across Canada and across North America because uh, you know I think that uh, everybody in Canada was kind of taken aback by the the deal which took years to actually put together which which I do know how it was done but you know I was under the same cone of silence as everybody else and uh you know i was glad when 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 they got a number of our communities not all of them involved in in the actual deal and uh i think it'll pay benefits way 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 into the future both like dollar benefits growth benefits but also employment and uh career benefits as well so i'm hopeful the timing was amazing um considering what we were going through with the moderate livelihood fishery and all of the challenges and then all of a sudden they come out with uh, the announcement of the the purchase of clearwater seafoods it was just um it was amazing and i think um, a lot of the community members were unaware of this was going on so it was very exciting well a lot of people are not aware of what goes on in the fisheries they just hear their brothers or sisters. Well, I'm going on the boat. I'll be back in uh, two weeks' time. Uh, you know, or I got to go to training. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And, uh, you know, I, I know in my community alone, like uh, a lot of the guys that got involved in the fishery before Marshall have been in it for like uh, 30 years. Like a lot of the fishermen that that are in it in the First Nations communities stick with it. And in Atlantic Canada, one of the interesting things I always demonstrate, the average age of a non-native fisherman is 56. The average age of an indigenous fisher, qualified fisher, is 40. So think about that because 
it it does show that uh, you know we're, we're going to be around for a very 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 long time in the fishery. <laughs> Economic recovery. It's in the forefront of most businesses right now and organizations. Because the Atlantic fishery has been tremendously impacted by COVID-19, um, the fish prices, the, all of the other issues, what do you see the future of our Atlantic fishery looking like? Well, I think that uh, the, 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 the prices are, are coming back. I did see that in, in the prices of snow crab this year, and I did see the, 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 it in the pricing of the lobster is is going in the right trajectory. Uh, I just think that uh, the government has to offer other measures to help our communities to become part of the COVID economic recovery and help us make the, the transition from the way things were done before COVID to the new way of things are getting done in communities and and one of the things that I that I always talk about COVID and the impact of COVID like we would never be doing video conferencing and these uh, ring central things last year because everybody wanted to meet and talk and and get together but in business and in 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 worldwide business this stuff has been going on for decades and we're just we were forced to adapt everybody was forced to adapt but i think the big challenge uh with our communities is access to high speed internet in all our communities and having access to high speed internet in in across all our communities in all the households basically not just uh, the main businesses or the main enterprises uh, in the communities and uh I think that uh, the reality is is that I think because of our growing and young population and, and well-educated population, I think that we have the greatest potential to offer the greatest contribution to the COVID recovery economy. And there has to be significant thought to allow us all allow our people and our young people across the community, both on and off reserve, to participate in good ways in the COVID recovery and be a part of that overall recovery strategy and uh, become part of a greater contribution to their local economy plus the regional economy, which a big part of it is the Atlantic fishery. and. Uh, I think that um, you know. I think that uh, the the fishery will will go a long way, and and it's all it's it's always adapting because things are changing. Climate change has changed the fishery. Whales have changed the fishery. The technology on vessels has changed drastically in the last decades, and you know, safety standards are going up as well on vessels. And uh, those are all important things for the fishery. And I think that uh, for, all, for us, it's, it's really participating in all aspects of the COVID recovery economy, but uh, being involved uh, 
and continuing to expand and grow in the fishery and become more involved in other aspects of the supply chain of the fishery, just not the harvesting of uh, harvesting of product like the production facilities in Askazoni, um, Alcibuktuk, and Espinotajik are very good examples of how they've become more than just fishers, basically. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the Clearwater thing and uh, just uh, the community's pace of growth in the fishery is, uh, is amazing. And uh, I've seen how much the, the, the fishery has grown from when Marshall first occurred, I think we were making 19 million or 25 million across all of our communities. Last year, the estimated value was over 200 million. So, plus it also has at least 1,900 people working in the fishery and the support services involved in the fishery. And uh, I always say uh, one of the biggest surprises I've always got of the fishery is that a number of communities actually have women crew captains and crews basically that participate equally with the men in the fishery. So I've seen that uh, happen in, in, in a number of communities and I think it's a good thing and it's a good thing that uh, more people are involved. They, they understand it's a very dangerous thing and very very safety oriented hard work and uh you know i uh at our awards banquet i was surprised when uh, we actually gave out an award for one of the crews that was entirely women in one of the community i think it was picto land <laughs> and uh you know and uh you know they 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 do just as good as the other guys and uh it was pretty uh, pretty amazing, and, and I know the guys and the girls from the community, including the chief and council, were very, very pleased about them getting getting award because I think that uh, celebrating the, the success and uh, celebrating their their achievements really does uh, ensure their their ongoing success. Uh, in the fish, in the various aspects of the fishery, whether it be the commercial, the moderate livelihood, or even the food fishery that uh, that is done in communities, and like I said, um, proper training, safe vessels, safe equipment is fundamental. It doesn't matter who you are, and uh, it's it's something that uh, is is built into the. Uh, into the processes, and uh, I know that um, at Olnuweg, their business development team, which supports the ongoing efforts in, in all the communities, in the commercial fisheries, continues to adapt and, you know, support the communities in, in the ways, in the planning and uh, the expansion and replacement of vessels and growth aspects of the fishery, including um, aquaculture now, which is a growing concern, as well as indigenous marine servicing, which is also 
growing in some of the communities in primarily in Elsibuktuk, Indian Island, and in Membertu and Pictou Landing. And communities in Newfoundland are now becoming involved in marine service and uh, marine servicing sector that also is involved with the fishery and uh, servicing and or building vessels. So I think it, uh, it, 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 it keeps growing and expanding and uh, getting involved in more and more aspects of the fishery. And, you know, I think that uh, it's going to continue to grow and offer real employment and real incomes to many people for for a very long time and uh, you know my role here is to support them support the communities and you know we 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 do provide uh, a training program that actually trains fishery managers to be certified by the Nova Scotia Community College we have six training components that basically train you to be a fishery manager in a community and uh, you know we've had 70 80 graduates over the last number of years and uh, most if not all the directors or the managers of fisheries in the communities have that certification as well as one other person in the communities uh, we've also created a tool for all the communities called the fisheries management information system which tracks basically all your aspects of performance of the vessels the operations the training and certification of all the crews all the deckhands and uh, you know all the requirements of vessels like in insurance uh, testing um, you know registration and all those things insurance is uh, is another big thing that uh, you know that that's uh, basically a cost of doing business that uh, many of the communities have to incur in case the bad things happen and uh, you know it it it's like I always tell people we, that I do get involved in the fishery I'm not getting involved ever and for those that do it I I I have a lot of respect for those people and I always tell them no matter whether they're a deckhand or the captain is safety first successful second and uh, if you live by that uh, you'll be okay and uh, you'll be a success in in your community and you know the fishery the fishery only runs x amount of the year and I find they do a lot of other things in the communities when they're not fishing. <laughs> you know, they they do other things while they're not fishing. So, you know, they they contribute a lot to communities as fishermen, as a group. Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate your insight in all of this. I've learned so much more than what I thought I knew. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that we're, we didn't talk about that you'd like to add? No, it 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 it's uh, there. There's um, like a lot of the material that any material that we produce, as you know, is on our APC website, and we do make it available to to all the directors of fisheries in in all the communities. 
our, our role is to share the most relevant and current information about what's going on in the fishery. And we will continue to do that to the best of our ability and help communities move forward with the, with the challenges that they face and be supportive of communities, basically. Thank you for listening to Indigenous Boom, the new podcast from the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chiefs Secretariat.